This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. Today, we have on somebody who has been on all the other Cine State shows. We have Jacob A. Miller, the cinematologist, back. And we also have newcomer, someone who I've never done a podcast before, ever, <laughs> in the history of our friendship. Um, we have Christoph Paul, who is a novelist, satirist, and one of the managing editors of Clash Books. Christoph, how are you doing today? Hey, man, I'm good. I'm good. It's... Ready to talk? Yeah, I'm a fanboy too, like Jake. I've 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 almost seen every movie by Cinestate, and I, I love what they're doing with literature too. So yeah, I'm, I'm I'll be up front. Like I I got a lot of love for them. Which movies of theirs have you not seen yet? Oh, it's just I think it's the most recent one. What's it called? The fucking I just keep forgetting to see it. Oh, dragged across country. No, no, I saw that one. It was another one that Cinestate did. Oh, the standoff at Sparrow Creek, man. Have not. Fucking so I'm not that great of a fanboy, but I've I'm I just keep I just keep forgetting to see it. But uh, no, I've seen every other one. I even seen the fucking puppet. Well, I guess yeah, they would be the puppet master one, even the littlest right. Reich. That was fucking great too. Hey, I was going to ask your opinion on that because obviously horror is up your alley. You you've done a you did a book of poems based on horror movies. So I don't know if did puppet master get featured in there puppet master for the record is like my least favorite horror no, series I mean, of all I, time. look I, I think puppet master is a cool idea but it, it, it doesn't to me it doesn't really hold up as like a great i actually like this like they went the opposite like usually it was like the you know the fucking jews that took their souls took the puppets and they killed nazis but i kind of liked that they did it a, they like he went a total different way with like nazi puppets which is way more scary to me like that, that shit was hardcore. Like, those were some fucking beautiful kills. Like I said, Puppet Master is neither here nor there for me. I thought that was the best one of the series by far. But the the most uh, entertaining and engaging aspect of that movie were the kills themselves. They were very impressive on screen. You know, like, I'm a big Edward Lee fan. I, I You know, I've gone to KillerCon. I'm part of the hardcore horror scene. You know, I, I write under a pen name that writes fucked up books you know so i i love good fucked up horror and that those are some great kills you know the fucking the the baby one like the abortion i mean it was just like it was a horrific beautiful kill jake did you see the puppet master movie it's the only one i haven't seen yet but yeah it's been on my list on shutter for probably two months but uh now that i've got more time on my hands i'm probably gonna watch it this week uh in succession with the other films even though like you say lorez you don't love them but I, I consider myself a completist, so I feel like I need the context because I, I wasn't able to see those when I was younger. So I've got I've got to get the whole the whole experience. Yeah, and uh, you know we didn't even talk about the movie that we're going to be discussing today, which is the first Cine State film, Bone Tomahawk. You know who did this? The only one group that hunts with these. Who? They don't have a name. Kind of tribe doesn't have a name. One that doesn't have a language. Cave dwellers. You know where they are? I have a general idea. You'll take us to them? I won't. Because you're an Indian? Because I don't want to get killed. You're afraid of your own kind? They're not my kind. They're a spoiled bloodline of inbred animals that rape and eat their own mothers. Well, what are they? Troglodytes. What do they look like? Man like you would not distinguish them from Indians, even though they're something else entirely. Why would they tear that stable boy up, leave him, but take the others away? They don't need Negroes. Do they think they're poisonous? Chicory. 
Yeah, like kind of like how Kristoff is saying, th this was like a, a beautiful crossroads almost where I hear about something organically and it taps into pretty much everything I love about filmmaking. So, yeah, it, it was kind of a lightning in a bottle way to find out about this one. And it is split into two halves where the opening is absolutely a Western, but as you get into that second half of the film, the gore is up, the tension is up, and it becomes more of a horror film. Kristoff, uh, what, what would you say is the stronger aspect in terms of the Western or the horror? I mean, for me, obviously, I'm going to say the horror. That was more engaging for me in the imagery of the fucking, the, the, the pregnant blind, the two pregnant blind chicks, like they have in the cave, and then like they just slice that guy up as meat. I mean, it was, I was unsettling. I mean, I was, I was legit, the first time I watched it, I was I was freaked out for Kurt Russell's character. And, you know, I'm just like, man, these guys are going to go through some pain. Like, this is this this is just like, you know, this is I mean, it's a true they're they're monsters like these characters, like they're fucking monsters. Like they're you know, they had like the Indian care and they build it up. He's like, no, these are not Indians. These are fucking troglodytes. Trog I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah the fuck's a troglodyte you know i'm like that sounds bad as fuck but um no it was it was i think you needed both parts i think another movie i think of where it's like two movies and one that i really loved though some people might not think it's a great is a uh, dust till dawn yes that's oh, okay. the prime yeah. example you know and and has that two movie structure kind of quentin tarantino like thing you know he wrote it and it has that like two movies and one almost a double feature but they both you know, and I, I, you know, you, you have this, you just, it's, it's really hard to pull that off. I can say I, I wrote with like a structure of that in mind, like a book I finished, it fucking took a long time because it's hard to go from the real world to that horror world and have it be smooth. And these guys, it, it, Craig did a good job. I think it is because him being a good novelist helped too with. Yeah. I've got to say though, for me, um, I think the Western element is maybe, I guess the question is, what's the, what's the better element or what serves well, the best? Well, what's the stronger one? I, I think the Western one, and I'm going to say this for two reasons. One, to put up an argument, and two, because for me at least, I, I knew what I was getting going into this movie after hearing about the buzz and whatnot, but the Western element for the first half of the movie really brings you into the story and the characters and the setting. And I think it just sets things so perfectly. Like Christoph was saying, um, especially the establishment that, that these monsters are troglodytes by uh, the actor. I believe his name is Zon McLaren. Or he, he's a great actor. He's in a lot of stuff. And um, it just, it just stuff like that orients you so much in the setting, in the characters, in the, in the, just in the general beats to the story and whatnot. And, it just lets you sink in that when it goes into another dimension, it adds to that value. It adds the shock and it adds the, the just the excitement of jumping into another genre. So for me, that prelude in the Western world is 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 great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I want to add like too, like the writing is so good for that scene, the character development. Like you have a good crafted film for that first half where. You know, everybody, you, the characters are like, you You know, little, little good use of dialogue, even like the stuff with his wife when they're like fucking and he's, his leg is messed up, like little things like that. It felt real. And I think be, the Western is 
so it, 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 they just complement each other though because like if you don't have that strong western opening i don't think the horror is actually as good then it's just kind of gore for gore but because you have all these stakes and everything just you know everything feels so real in that horror like that western world the horror just it, it just is complemented by it you know and i i think it's just it really emerges into one film and i i even think with dust till dawn it's the same thing if you don't have that awesome like i would say that that is a stronger movie easily the the first half of dust till dawn but you, it the the vampires and shit work cuz of that well crafted you know, first act to second act. And we do see these two aspects overlap into S. Craig Zoller's other films where you have that build-up, the emphasis on creating these characters, making them three-dimensional, uh, forcing you to invest your, your time and your interest into seeing their outcome be a positive one. But also the slower bait-and-switch, where I feel like with Brawl and Cell Block 99... It was a similar situation where it started out as one film and then gradually it became this grindhouse, prison, again, kind of horror film and dragged across concrete where you're introduced to these cops and then the story you end with is something similar to maybe William Friedkin's Sorcerer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I, I see this in, um, I almost call it the extra act. I've seen it with like some like foreign films, like, uh separation like a kind of artsy like film like that but then there was a uh fuck julia roberts did a, re- a terrible remake of it and um at the end you, you know their eyes or something you guys do you guys know what i'm talking about no luckily i haven't versed myself on too much of julia roberts library i'm just <laughs> not not a big fan a separate, not a separation. Uh, the the secret in their eyes. It was like an like a. Oh, okay. It came no, out like two thousand. It was a really. It won the Academy Award, but it has like this extra fucking act where it's just like all this stuff, and then there's this amazing crane shot, and you're like, oh, the movie's finally starting. But if you didn't get that like thirty minutes of like info dump and character building, that part's not going to happen. I don't think that uh, you know the other movie. I would say. Um, Oh, fuck. Dragged Across Concrete kind of has that structure where it's like the pacing is like kind of slow in the beginning, but then it adds up to something really fucking special. And I've seen that in some foreign films. I think he's like in Sinister, the only really American companies that are willing to just challenge audiences with the, you know, a little different bit of structure that you don't see in most Hollywood movies. No, the cool thing, too, that I think is going on is Zoller, I think, is tapping into um, some old-fashioned tendencies, and he hasn't made that a secret whatsoever. He li- he likes to tap into kind of the stylistics of, uh, like, 70s films and whatnot, which I love. Um, but one element of that that I love is that in both Bone Tomahawk and uh, Brawl and Cell Block 99, he almost creates, well, he does, he creates monster movies by by the film's end. The first one being Bone Tomahawk with what appear to just be savages, but really turn out to be like troglodyte monsters. Like you said, it, it's literally a monster movie by the, by the film's end. And then in Brawl and Cell Block 99, what he does with um, Vince Vaughn's character is really almost make him like uh, the thing from another world or like the Frankenstein monster and, and have this indestructible beast, but just have him be the hero in this case. So... 
he's doing some really interesting stuff. So I, I would say up to that point, him transitioning into something like Puppet Master, not too uh, unpredictable. You can see the trajectory here. Well, couldn't you also make the argument for Drag the Cross Concrete with those guys in the the uh, those those body suits that are very sociopathic that just have essentially no empathy at all toward human life. Sure, yeah, more of a, figur- a figurative monster, I think. Less less shock and awe than maybe the first two movies, but definitely yeah, they can definitely qualify. And I think he, he I think he was going more for noir there, so uh so it's a little different, but I think you're making a good point. Yeah, I mean, he got published. I remember, like, I'm friendly with the the. It's another like my like Lisa and myself. It's another like married couple that run run the press, uh, Raw Dog Streaming Press, who's always loved to like they they're they're good people. Like they've always tried to publish shit that might be like kind of off, like not really fitting in a genre, but has something unique. And I think that's what Craig is, and I think that's why a lot of people are responding to him because he's he's doing something. It, it, it satisfies genre expectations. Like he's not just like saying "fuck all this," but it's fresh and yet different. And I think that's for people who really love movies and stories and books. Like it's really satisfying, you know. And I know, like, and I remember I, I looked up like the the. I'm like, how did this movie do? I never remembered how it did, and it did not make much money. The, the his first film, um, the Bone Tomahawk, and it was just. I think it's hard to market stuff like that. And I think it was so good that people were like, nah, fuck it. Like it, it didn't matter though. Like the word of mouth kept it going and, and critics even, you know, a lot of times I'll like something and critics will hate, but it was, everybody was on the same page. It was just a tough sell, I think to get it right away. But this, this, this movie has spread, you know? Absolutely. And I, I think that the movie has mostly made its money back through streaming through, uh, you know, that just, online digital platforms, something like this is not going to have a good box office. And I think since then, they've realized that, and that's why they've also done same-day video on demand, Dragged Across Concrete and Standoff at Sparrow Creek. Uh, I had went to go see both of those in theaters for the experience, but they came out, I think, for like $7 or something on the same exact day. So they, they have figured it out in a way to at least make their money back. I don't know how long-term sustainable that'll be. Hopefully very long-term, because I love everything that they've put out. But uh, I do think that they have an interesting model and maybe something that is going to become more popular in the years to come uh, based off the fact we seem to only be getting one or two different types of movies out to theaters uh, nowadays. It's kind of like, I mean, I think the small screen, I mean, I miss that. Like I used to live in New York and I could go see these like movies that'd be on, you know, VOD. Like you, I could go, you could go see the VHS films in the theater in New York city. (laughs) But now I'm in New Hampshire and that's not happening. Unless like Dartmouth (laughs) and they're not going to show those fucking VHS or, or, you know, dragged across concrete. They're just not going to do that. So I, I don't know. I think it's cool. I mean, for people who don't live in the city, it's kind of nice. Like I'm like, oh great, a, a awesome this Tuesday. I'm gonna go see an awesome movie or this weekend, you know, when it comes out. So I mean, I I think I think it's I, I'm rooting for this to be to be successful. You know, and you have streaming services doing it. Like I would be curious to see them actually do a partner with maybe a streaming service. I don't know. Maybe that would actually even be more financial for them because I just want to see them make money. You know, I think they're all in the right direction and. 
you know, I, but they're so far, I mean, I've, out of the, I think the four out of five films they've made, it's about five, all been great and fun and, and unique and, and, and a, and a fresh, uh, you know, breath of fresh air, so to speak. Like, yeah, I think, um, no, another good point here to make is that I, just with the, the difference of approach to filmmaking and distribution and whatnot, and really being autonomous from the, the real big players and whatnot, but still solidifying themselves and having quite a strong following and having their own identity is huge now. And I think it's just going to bring other people into the mix that want to do the same thing, have that autonomy, but still be able to get that wide kind of distribution. The uh, Cinestate is probably, and I don't think it's an understatement for anybody in this conversation that I think they're giving me personally a lot of hope for how cinema can kind of get back to its roots, but still stay, like Christoph has said, modern and fresh and different without just recycling, uh, uh, I guess, uh, sent, uh, sentiment or sentimentalism for how things used to be. They're doing things in a way that it just seems so, uh, yeah, refreshing to, to be going at it and just trying to subvert what has become the corporate norm, I guess. Yeah, the truth is, I, I don't think you would see these movies get made today in a typical Hollywood industry system. And I had listened to an interview with Dallas Sanye, who is the head of Cine State. He's responsible for all of this. And he's obviously got friends who have worked in the industry, who are at Disney or what have you. And, uh, you know, they've gone over his films themselves and said, like, okay, well, if you were to do this, if you were to get, like... Uh, uh, I was going to say like Miramax, but that's very 1996. Uh, if you were to get Warner Brothers to release this movie, this would have to go, this would have to go, that would have to go. And then all of a sudden you make all those compromises and you lose the flavor and the character of your film uh, in the process. So uh, just to echo what you've said, Jake, like, yeah, I, I do look at Cine State as a bastion of hope. Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing very few uh, risk-taking in that and it might not you might find financially in like the big system it just might not be doable to have that risk i mean for it just might be like financial suicide i mean the last movie i i watched it recently on like hbo um which had kind of at least some kind of flavor i'm not saying it was a great the it was a good movie it wasn't great um the fucking one that took place in 69 at the hotel the the bad times at What's it called? Uh, Bad times at the El Royale. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was good. It wasn't like I wasn't like okay. I mean, it was very Tarantino, and and there was a lot of that. But it was fresh, at least. I was like okay, and that got into theater, and it was just really hard to sell it. Like I think, I think you're having it that like fucking just normie film watchers and people with kids and shit. They're just like, all right, I want two hours to just turn my brain off. I mean, I think that's why I know you fucking hate the Marvel shit low res like you fucking hate it but it's like that's what it is it's like okay we know the same character we're gonna turn our brain off my kid can fucking watch and you know i can chill out it's not really it's passive movie watching and there's a place for passive movie watching i i you know if i'm working a lot and i just want to i'll fucking watch that marvel shit but like you know these are films that are not they're not passive film watching you have to actually be involved and you can't you know and I think there's a place for that. I think it is going more streaming. I mean, even even some of the shit on Netflix I'm seeing, sometimes it hits the mark, sometimes it doesn't. But I I think there is a movement starting with different, you know, 
I would say center state. I, I do. I would say a movement is starting toward uh, going back to its roots, but also doing something unique. I would say on the on the smaller screen more than the big screen, but it can they can be both. Well, the interesting thing I'm seeing is um, you kind of made a point at a Christoph with with people just kind of going to these regular movies to turn their brain off and whatnot. But it's it's interesting. Cinestate actually from their main like social media page uh, shared an article I think last week that's showing that yeah the, these big movies like the superhero ones and whatnot. They're still doing well, but generally Hollywood is starting to lose a little bit, especially this summer. Uh, this summer, we're only, it's the day of recording this is July 1st, and uh, a significant amount of sequels or, or reboots, remakes, or whatever of these big properties that are trying to get people in are seeing uh, lower box office numbers than expected, whereas now you're seeing somebody like a Cinestate, or I'll even throw Blumhouse into the mix, booming yeah i think blumhouse is great like some of their efforts uh, not so much but for the most part they're doing the same thing that uh state has been doing and right they're seeing fantastic results and i think it's not really a conscious effort on part of most of the consumers but i think it's just a sign of like a subconscious sign that like you said the normie filmmakers are just kind of like passively seeing this stuff now and not really feeling getting excited because of like the manufactured kind of excitement that's pumped into advertisement and into social media campaigns. Whereas the, the real venture films like what Blumhouse or Cinestate are producing are garnering genuine excitement, genuine patronage and people that want to see these movies because they're the kinds of movies that they love. They're making rides. I mean, when all said and done, they're making escapism fucking Disney Universal. They're literally doing what they are. They're making fucking rides for people who can't go to Disney World. And I, I get that. I don't, I don't actually have a problem with that. Um, it's just like there needs to be other shit, though. And I think now there are, you know, pr- production companies. And uh, I mean, I hate to say it. I mean, the fucking scumbag Eddie was. They were doing that in the '90s with, um, you know, Miramax. You know, they were doing that. And um... yeah, that that's that's a good point. That w- that was kind of like the beta stage of what's going on now. And we do see with Disney where they're just eating their competitors, like they bought Fox recently. I really think we're going to get to a point where it's only going to be Disney and Warner Brothers, and those are the two types of movies you can get uh, when going to the theater. The bright side of that is I do think that we're going to see more of the, the Cinestates or the Blumhouses. I don't know if they're necessarily comparable because I, I look at Cinestate more uh, closer in vain to something like Alara Pictures, which the Safdie brothers started a few years back, where it's more the directors and the people who are making the primary creative decisions with each film are in control of the production company itself. Uh, that seems to be more the case with Cinestate where... Four out of their five films have had S. Craig Zoller's fingerprints all over it. Uh, you know, if this was 20 years ago, you know, that would be considered like a vanity production company or, or something along those lines. Uh, with Blumhouse, I think they're more akin to like A24. Or... Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think you're going to, you're seeing like 
for those who don't know, I mean, you're, you're kind of seeing mirrors of each other in with publishing and with movies right now. They're actually very Absolutely. similar distribution. Like, I mean, I do a small press. Like, if we keep growing, we'll do, like, a mid-size thing where you get better distribution. Like, right now it's print-on-demand. You know, and you have... When you're printing on demand, you can take way more risks. And if you get the right person, you can make a big profit because you're not spending as much money, you know, and you have, um, you know, other you have like and then you have like these huge New York presses that are just big conglomerates. And, you know, they're going to either make their money with like celebrities or like a, a, an award winning literary book, which is like the bestseller. There's a different model for bestsellers with books, but it's kind of the same vein. And then you have you're just trying to get to a point where the best, I think the best out of that is like a mid-sized press, which I think Cinestate is trying to get to, which, you know, I think A24 has done really well with and Bloomhouse where you'll have that creative and you, you'll find that, that balance between like satisfying an audience, but doing something different. And I think that's where the best kind of art comes from. Well, I was going to say, I, I think we're reaching a point now where, and this is generally speaking where, Maybe you don't want that enormous following. Maybe you don't want uh, to be like the Kevin Hart of filmmaking or whatever it might be, because that'll come with additional responsibilities you maybe did not sign up for. Something like, as you're saying now, being more in the middle where you're financially sustainable on your own, doing your, making your own creative decisions without having to worry about those things is really the sweet spot you want to aim for. I mean, it's like a small business or, you know, that's kind of the model, I think, where Cinestate and a lot of these are going toward. I mean, Bloomhouse is being really smart. I mean, they're they're doing some stuff that hits and some stuff that doesn't, but they're being really smart about it. Um, and when they hit, it's like, OK, great. We can take some risks. We can try some new shit. And that's all you really can do that. You have that hit and it, it enables you to be able to try stuff. You know, Cinestate, they're not having huge hits, but they're having a you know, for Battle Acabitters, their brand is just so on point for people who love, you love cinema and you love something interesting, you're going to want to check out a Cinestate film. And it has that approval for people who love it. You know, like for, you know, the, the, the kid, the guy just wants to fucking go on a ride. Maybe not, but. Right. Well, and I think that's actually a point of strength with this company and other companies like it is they seem to have carved out their own identity. Yes. And are still able to mess around with multiple genres and have that overlapping aesthetic to it. You see, the ideal for me in this uh, scenario, you guys are kind of already getting at, is the future of movies that I want to see is, like you said, we're going to have the Disneys and we're going to have the Warner Brothers and uh, Universal, too, I suppose, uh, just in the mix, kind of battling away at these big box office weekends. But I, the movie future I want to see is, that's probably inevitable, but in the mix... I want to see 20 Cinestates out there putting out stuff all year and, and, and just peddling out fantastic content. And when enough demand comes, and it's, it's already pretty much getting there, these movies, like the Cinestate movies, and Blumhouse is already doing it, are going to get that theatrical billing. And I, that's what it's all about to me. And that, that's the future of movies I want to see, because on the, on the one side... It's gone so far down the corporate rabbit hole with things like Disney and Warner Brothers and whatnot that it would really be so far gone to undo most of that. But if the more niche kind of production companies or just producers or whatnot have their place and their say in the market and we can get 
again, a more innumerable amount of, the, of these kinds of productions, then I see that as the best, best of both worlds. How familiar are you guys with the Cinestate Publishing Division? I know we were talking about this right before we went live, but uh, they have partnered with Fangoria now. I do know that uh, as Craig Zoller writes for Fangoria, uh, as a matter of fact, I think he has a column in the newest issue. So, uh, oh. I mean, I, I'm, I'm pumped to see, uh, you know, that collaboration. Uh, Michael Seilinger's, they, you know, republished it. And it, it wasn't Cinestate, now it's just Fangoria. Like, now I think they're just going to focus on mostly, I think, publishing horror, which I think is really smart, Our stuff that, like, has that weird brand like they published a really good young writer i i a lot of love for him i've known him for a couple of years too Ma- max booth the third i think it is uh max booth and he's a good dude he really really talent like probably one of the best comedy horror writers you know and i've written comedy he's he's really one of the best at it and he did a werewolf for them so i don't know it's um I think their model is pretty, I mean, it looks like it's Ingram Spark, I think, or it's Ingram that they're using for distribution. So they're probably getting in more bookstores, but nothing like, you know, nothing like uh, the New York Five, you know, publishing. But I don't know. I think it's, uh, they might, you know, use that to write a script with it as well. And that might be a way to find new properties. And I think that's really smart. Yeah, actually, I I went through, uh, like, things that are in development because i want to know what's coming out next with this company and i think they're doing and i might have this wrong i think they're either doing a documentary or some something else with uh grady hendrix oh that would make that would make perfect sense yeah grady hendrix is yeah he's i mean he's done the uh paperbacks from hell that would actually oh, make sense yeah, and yeah Quir- quirk published him quirk's a great press um you know they publish a lot of like offbeat shit that's like really they did like the the Pride and Prejudice and Zombies that would that shit blew up a while back. That really had a moment. That book. No, that book like was huge. I mean that they're they're like good to go. Because <laughs> by of that. the way, uh, have you guys read any of Zoller's novel work? I, I have his uh, novels in, in a cart of mine at the local bookstore. But I read some of it and I liked it, and then I just got busy with stuff. But yeah, he's a good writer. He makes yeah. like I think metal as well. Oh yeah, he, he was in a he was in a Swedish black metal band or something like that. Even though he's an American guy, yeah, he was he was in black metal, which it's funny. He's a talented dude. I mean, he's definitely got a lot of range and different art forms. So I mean, that's cool that he's found like a company that he can like let him do his thing with. And I think they're making some money for it. I mean, they're definitely finding more investment and growing. So I, I think they're going to be around for a while. Well, you know what I think is cool about all this you guys are already getting at is um, I, I like the idea of companies like this that are still small and niche, but really just divvying up into all different kinds of mediums. Because, well, for one, I think that's a good way to compete these days. If you're a one-trick pony, that can only go so far. But with with the publishing angle, too, that diversity is just well interesting to somebody like me, too, who began reading like way more after high school and whatnot and can't have enough books now and to have them already tapping into my own sensibilities in film and movies and whatnot uh it, it, it's really interesting to see what they publish because now i i always want to have a book that's on the shelf ready to read and maybe that's another part of this trend that is is going to come about I don't, I don't know if a24 has any plans like that or certainly not blumhouse i don't think but 
I think it, it's it's a good model to follow. And I think, well, the kind of stuff we're doing with Headshot right now and getting that off the ground, uh, I mean, that's definitely something I think we subconsciously have followed, but I mean, it's still a work in progress. Well, Christoph, I was going to ask you, because obviously you have carved out a good spot in indie literature with Clash, but where, I mean, what is what is the actual like status of Cine State's books? Well, there's proceeds to get published by Fingoria. It's like that is pretty much what they are, and I think it's a better brand in some ways, especially their horror books. And I think that I think what I see, at least, I can't I can't say this factually. Like I don't know for sure, but what I see is like the books that were going to be Cine State are now Fangoria, and I think that's smart of them to like join with Fangoria. It fits with the brand. Because, like, they'll do more horror stuff, but they'll also do stuff that's, like, you know, offbeat. I mean, like, honestly, like, Silinger's book, and you remember it, My Pet Serial Killer. I do. I remember when it came out on Civil Coping Mechanisms Press. Yeah. That's, you know, that's a Fangoria Cinestate book now. They republished it. I know that's crazy. I mean, that that he was pumping out books like th- like three a year, like a machine. Just totally crazy. So it's really cool to see that he's gotten to that level where he's now having it out with them. They knew like a press in Texas. So there's definitely a Texas thing going on where I think Deep Deep Vellum books and they publish like, you know, things but I think he helped them out on the literature things, the literature side of things and you know, they got, you know, he knew Silinger. And now I don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, you know, I think like I mean, I would say in the horror world like Prestige it's a weird thing because it's like you can have the prestige, but it might not sell as much. Horror is very much an ebook, uh, an ebook kind of genre now. Not always, but like for the younger readers, they love their fucking ebook horror books, and you can just read that shit. Yeah, no, oh, with horror, like I mean, I think that's a smart thing, though. I mean, horror is a weird thing, and and that it's it's not like a prestige genre. You know, you have like Cemetery Dance, and you have, but you have Fingora, which does have that prestige, though. You know, to get published by Fangoria, it's a dream come true for, especially for young horror writers. You know, that would, that would, it's, it's Fangoria. It has that brand um, and it will always have that. It just has a place in horror, horror fans heart. Um, But I think that's smart. I think it's actually smart to be Fangoria as a publisher and then be Cinestate as a, you know, and you can have Fangoria Presents. I think they did that with the, uh, um, what was it? The Puppet Puppet Master. Master. Yeah. It's smart. It's just better for marketing to be able to have that name on there. Like the reach is just going to be, generally speaking, uh, wider. You're, you're casting a broader net with that. Um, but, uh, you know, they also have, and again, this is kind of low key as well. They do have an audio division where I guess they were trying to get into audio dramas for a minute with The Narrow Caves, which was written by S. Craig Zoller. And I don't know how effective that has been compared to audio dramas. Uh, I'd love the to film see division. I, I, I don't know I'd what the audience for Cinestate that is like. Bring back some, uh, bring in some radio serials. That would be, <laughs> I think there's a, there's just so much competition for that. Like it, it's just not worth it. You know, it's smart to try it, but I mean, you have so many podcasts that are doing stuff like that. And I mean, it's just, you know, I, I would stick to the, I, I mean, honestly, I think their best thing is films, to be honest. Like, I think um, they're really doing it well. I think they're still figuring out the publishing end of things. But, you know, from what I've talked to the writers, they're doing a pretty good job with it. Like, but it's still something that you're going to have to figure, you know, it's, it takes a long time to just figure all that shit out, you know, as a new company with a, 
you know, a new press, but I feel like film wise, they're, they're getting it like concrete. That That's a, that's a tough movie for a lot of people. It's a long ass movie. The pacing is pretty slow for the first half. Like it's not a crowd pleaser by any means, but you know, the audience, like it was worth it. Like I was like, Oh, okay. Like once I, it was a kind of a slog that first, that first act is like, Jesus fucking Christ. I come totally on. Agree. I thought that was going to be the first flop of theirs, as a matter of fact, because you're 40 minutes into the movie, and it's like, okay, how many more scenes of just Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson talking in the car do we need? We got the point. But it really does pay off when things do heat up uh, between them and the antagonists of the film. And that's a style I've seen in foreign movies that I really love. I was I was talking with, like, Jake. I mean, a, a Separation is a movie out of Iran, and it was like... It took like 40 minutes just to, you know, get all the stuff going. And, so, and I think it, I think it won the Academy Award that that whenever it came out. It was a great film. And uh, The Secret in Their Eyes. It's like these movies where there's like 40 minutes that logically you should be like, just cut this shit, get to the actual movie. But it pays off. It pays off in that final thing. And you're like, oh, I'm glad I did watch that. It, it's the structure, like the, the editor in me is like, you fucked up. Like you fucked up. Yeah, you, yeah. you did it wrong. Like it's, you should not have to have that 40 minutes, but yet the writer and the artist in me and the enjoy, I'm like, you know what? It worked though. In the end of the, at the, when I, when the screen credits rolled, I was like, no, I'm glad I watched that 40 minutes. I watched on a side note. I watched uh, another foreign one that did the same fucking thing. And they had like a 50 minute shot. Um, I have to think of the title, but it's another one that did that, where it's just all over the place and really challenging. So foreign films are doing that shit. I just, it, it's just, you just don't see it as much in America. Well, I, th- I think to some degree, one of the problems with the American just creative industry in general, really, is that marketing has maybe seeped a little too deeply into the creative end of things. Yeah. The creators themselves, I think, are already thinking of, okay, well, what is going to serve this product best in terms of reaching more people? But when you do that, you start to lose something in the process. And I think that might be the difference when you take a look at uh, you know, overseas films or uh, you know, a lot of the Asian market as well. Um, that can be the case. So that is, that is a problem. And I think we're, we're having a period now where we're starting to come down from that a little bit. And it's starting to correct itself as other people go off the rails uh, and solidify that is just a good writer. kind of has to know what they have. Like if you have a film that's actually or a book or, or a split script that's like genuine, but you're like, damn, this actually has like I, I have a YA novel. Like I'll use this as an example. And I'm like, I know I need to find a new agent for that because I'm like that actually has some mass appeal more than like some of my other like indie books that are like going to just reach away. Like it's just what's genuine for that story in that book. And I think, you know, I think Cinestate, I think they will find something that might be, they might not think it's like some big hit, but it just breaks through. And you have those films like that. They'll just kind of break through, um, you know, what I think in like 2000s, you had more of kind of like indie family dramas, like what was that one, Miss Sunset or whatever? That actually did Little really Miss well. Sunshine, yeah, yeah, like that did really well at the box office. Not my favorite film by any means, but it like broke through, even though it's just like cheap family drama. Okay, so what you're getting at, I think, I think I'm picking up on it now. Is you think uh, Cinestate is going to finally produce kind of their their big sleeper hit? so to speak. That would be fantastic. Let me be cynical for a moment and just suggest this idea, 
what are the odds of a Disney shell company purchasing Cinestate? I think, oh, I don't know. I, I mean, the optimist in me says that's very low because I think Cinestate is enjoying that creative autonomy, the creative freedom, and just being able to be that rogue kind of rogue cowboy, to make the pun going back to Bone Tomahawk, that rogue kind of cowboy in the film industry right now. I, who wouldn't want to be that guy at this point? Because when everything is so homogenous, follows the same beats, and is pretty much recyclable from one studio to the other, at least with the big ones. There's a, there's a certain pride and there, there's a richness in being that rogue actor in the whole scheme of things. You, you want that hit, though, eventually, because it makes it that you can breathe and actually keep doing what you're doing and not have like you can eat, so to speak. Like, I mean, I, I, I think of a press, Akashic Books. They did like they had like a minor hit with their noir series. You know, if you see if you go to the bookstore and you're like, you know, Tel Aviv noir, you know, Miami noir, they're the press that did that. And they published some good writer, like really, really great writers, not just good ones, but they weren't like big hits. And then they published that Go the Fuck to Sleep book, which like Samuel. <laughs> yeah, everybody knows that fucking book. They don't know the press, but that book, you know, helped them have a budget to just try new things and um you know just not worry they're like oh no we can keep doing what we're doing and add to it so it's like it's it's a it's a weird zen balancing act where you want to stay who you are but you want to stay in business and you want to even thrive a little bit but as a counterpoint now i've seen countless filmmakers where they will get involved in the the more blockbuster end of things because they want to get that one big hit where their name is universally recognized somebody like a, like a James Gunn or Taika Waititi somebody like that there's also plenty of filmmakers out there who are like that who do that and effectively wind up sterilizing themselves where I think so yeah their their priorities change as a result where maybe they go into it thinking okay we're going to make a bunch of money and then we're going to put it back into what we're doing right over here and then it's just like, well, I'm making a bunch of money and I'm doing movies. It's hard to have that balance, I think. I think also when as you get older, it's tougher. Like I know like as I'm getting in my 30s now, it's like I still want to write transgressive fucked up stuff. But you also like you just want to try new shit, too. Like in a transgressive book would be like if I wrote a new adult romance, that would have to be transgressive for me because it's yeah. like not something I've really done. You know, I've done like really fucked up books, but it's like it's a balance. But I think um it's tough because it's also age and you're just like the older you get, you're like money matters more. So it is, it is like they're there. You're playing with fire with that blockbuster hit. Will it change who you are or will it like make you even better? You know, um, I think with more creators that we can observe with that it, it, more often than not, it does kind of like, like Lorez said, it does sterilize them. James Gunn is probably the best case you can say. Like he, he makes, his uh, his movies with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and whatnot, but do you think he could ever go back and make another Slither? I think not. I'd, I I want to see on that. I think that'd be interesting to see in the next like five to ten years. I don't know. You know, sometimes you just like that that side needs to come out. You know, that's the thing. Like that art. Like I I, I have a lot of love for James Gunn because he. He did like the dream of making great transgressive shit. And then he's like, fuck it. He's passionate about that, that, you know, property. But it's, that's the thing. You're playing with somebody else's toys, you know, and it's like, fuck it. I'm going to play with these toys. You know, is he going to go back to, you know, maybe, I mean, I thought Slither was fucking awesome. Like that was a, that was a great horror. That's one of the best horror comedies I've seen this century. Like, 
that was a great film. So I'd love to see him go back to that. We'll see. You know, what will he want to go back to that? That's the other thing. He's done that. Will he want to or will I mean, and I actually like the thing he produced, the like kind of Battle Royale thing. That was cool. Oh, the uh, the Belko experience. Yeah, I mean, he also great, had, but it was it was it was good for what it was. He produced a movie this year too that his brothers wrote and I think directed called what was it Brightburn? Yeah, and I actually want to see that. I didn't see it, but I, I didn't see it. But I, I was hanging out with a couple friends the other night, and one of my friends he he wasn't a big fan of it. Got a mixed reaction. But on a career end, you might he might want to like produce more fucked up stuff and maybe just do more mainstream stuff on his part. It's just, it depends what you're into. You know, I mean, but to take this back to Cinestate, the, the, the reason why God, God willing, I hope they kind of stage us down the, the trajectory they're going now is that, I don't know. I just see this akin to what was possible in older days of movies. And I know my good old days, but it's, it's true. I mean, back in the 70s, 80s, and toward the late 60s, it was really just anybody that had some money and a good knack or sensibility for good movies was able to just go out and make it and make these these sleeper hits uh, just year after year. Now, it might, in retrospect, it might seem more common than it actually was, but I think we have so many examples. And Cinestate can be that player of a generation. And if this was me, if I was Dallas Sonnier, though I don't know exactly what's going on in his head, me, I'd think, listen, if, if we can make our money back and if we can produce like low-budget movies and, and just carve out like a legacy, I see that as, as way better, especially when you're a small production company. They only have about maybe 50 employees, if that, uh, than becoming this megacorp that just becomes so far and away from what it once was you it's finding that right balance and that's what i root for them where they can stay who they are i on a side note i'm reading like a, a business book called the company of one which is about why you should stay small you know and, and and why it's actually not good to keep building and growing and i think a lot of you know you lose who you are when you do that so there is truth to just going hey let's just make our money maybe it's not even million maybe it's not uh, 50 million maybe we can make like two million or five million here and we can eat well and we can be who we are i think that's actually probably the i agree with you actually on that that's probably the best way to go and just stay you know just be a working production company right i do think that there is uh, more of a shift going toward the engagement of the audience rather than the number of people in that audience which is, I, th I think, always a good thing. Uh, Christoph, I wanted to ask you, since we have talked time and time again on this show about the erosion of the film industry and how things are very, very bad for the most part, uh, you were saying, obviously, before the show, everything kind of sucks as far as media goes. What is the state of the publishing industry like right now? I mean, it's kind of a weird thing. I'm noticing a lot of presses fold. You know, which is not a thing I like, but I mean, I'm working with like better writers because of it. And I remember like a, you know, a guy, I remember Jeff Burke, he with Deadeye. Old Jeff Burke. Oh boy. But he, he he's not even working with Deadeye anymore, but like an, it's an example, like all the horror presses, like a big one folded and they needed a press and they went to a small press, a little, you know, tiny press called Deadeye. And then all of a sudden it became a pretty prominent horror press. And now, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with that, you know, but I mean, I'm, I, 
I'm happy with it. I mean, I think I'm trying to run it like a production company too. Like, so I'm like trying to diversify and do a lot. I think like a lot of presses, if they just do niche, like, okay, I'm just going to do this one thing and do it over and over again. Um, you better, you got to nail it. Like that, that, that's, that's tough too. Cause if that genre comes out, you know, if, if it goes down a little bit, you're, you're kind of screwed. So I don't know. I like it. I like publishing, you know, you got to, I think, think outside of the box, like even publishing somebody like Vernaculus. Like I don't think anybody in the indie world would have really thought of publishing Vernaculus, but we published them and, and made some money. Um, I think you got to think outside of the box and, you know, have fun with it. But I mean, there's a lot of freedom, you know, um, you don't have to make these huge sales like, you know, but if you sell enough and you sell and you publishing many books, you're, you're going to do okay, you know? And I think um, I think a lot of old presses that have been doing it a certain way, I think they're struggling to transition to new readers. Um, it, you know, and I'm seeing a lot of presses fold. I'm seeing that. So I don't know. I think it's, I think it's actually similar to the movie industry where you're going to have a couple small presses kind of flourishing, and doing okay, or at least, you know, doing that, you're gonna have some mid sizes that are even doing better. Like, I would say, like, you know, small press would be like Cinestate, like, not their publishing, but like they're, they're publishing certain things and they're hitting, hitting well enough to keep staying in business and growing a little bit. Then you have like a Blumhouse, you know, and you'll have like a couple of those, like, I would, you know, Two Law Radio, uh, Akashic, and then you have the fucking corporations who are, you know, they're they're they're, the only thing they have like the only thing and i think this is the same with movies is they're so risk adverse that that can maybe they'll lose out on some stuff like i've had some books that had agents the agents like i can't press you know this is just too fucked up this is too this this is too that so i think like i think there is a little bit of a movement in both you know in the movies and publishing where if you're willing to take some risks some good things can happen. It can also blow up in your face. Like that's the thing too. But if you're taking, if you make a few risks that are really good, like I think Cinestate does, it can really pay off for you in the long run. And it's really about brand trusting. You know, I think that's the big key. Like, you know, Cinestate, I feel like with class and like some of the new small presses, like, okay, they're doing, that might be, that thing might not be my thing, but what, what they do with this is good, you know? And it's just um, like, I don't know if people will like their Fangoria horror, you know, that's not for everybody. But people who love horror, they're like, oh, cool, Cinestate Fangoria, they're doing cool shit with horror, you know? I think it's all about having a strong base. And at the end of the day, as long as you can keep that base and you keep them pleased and maybe not necessarily pander to them, but just get, get no, get at, get at what they like, but also challenge them. And I think that that's another formula to follow. And not to slobber on Cinestate's knob, I think they're doing a good job of that so far. It's just whether or not they can keep it up that did challenge yeah, yeah. that was challenging Absolutely. that was not a fucking easy movie to just you know but it was worth it in the long run and the ending and everything was really solid and it was it was a unique film it was a unique experience i think that's the key word they're giving me a unique experience where a lot of films that's the last thing i get i don't get a unique experience i get a, another you know paint by the numbers or this by that Exactly, yeah. Uh, since this episode is technically about Bone Tomahawk, even though I think it occupied maybe about three minutes of the conversation as a whole, Kristoff, uh, give me a book that you would pair perfectly with Bone Tomahawk as a companion piece. 
Oh, man. I, I don't really read much, like... It doesn't need to be a Western, necessarily. I don't know. It, it reminded me a little bit of, uh, if you, like... I'm not a big Western guy. I mean, I guess you could say... Alternatively, if you can't think of a book, why don't we do another movie? I, I think Poe and Tomahawk was really weird. I think, like, the only thing I could think of is the, the writer. Is his uh, his book The Rafts? I can't remember the exact title. You know, I think stuff that um, Raw Dog does would fall in that. Some of their more horror books. Um, there hasn't been really any horror westerns. Maybe Cody Goodfellow. His stuff's just really weird. But I would say like some Edward Lee. You know, maybe some Edward Lee could be just because the horror. It was just so gruesome in that that last act. You know. Do you see anybody on like an indie publishing scale that's doing a similar style to what Cine State is up to? I have to say, I, you know, who published him, I would have to say Raw Dog is doing something like that. They're not doing a bunch of books. Like we do more, I wouldn't say Class does stuff like that, though. We, we like to binge on it. I'd have to say Raw Dog. I mean, they published him and they're publishing kind of quality books um that don't really fit into these genres but have a weirdness to them but they're pretty entertaining and and artful so i would say raw dog i'd have i'd have to say raw dog screaming press i mean that that would have to be it you know they're they're kind of i mean they they were the ones that like saw found him like yeah we got to publish this guy and john's a really good editor um and jennifer as well of uh jennifer barnes so i would say i would say raw dog yeah Check out some Excellent. raw dog streaming press books. Uh, do either of you guys have any like closing thoughts on the film Bone Tomahawk? Uh, this is such a joke that the episode is on Bone Tomahawk, uh, or um, just in a state in general, or or just the state of things. Well, I just think like like you kind of say, um, it's funny how we always we kind of devolve into the, or evolve into this wider conversation about Cinestate's impact on film but that's really what it's all about the film is all about subverting the conventions but in a strange way sticking to them familiarizing you with one formula and then completely discombobulating you with another so that's what that's what these movies have been about so far it's really it's clear cut do you like westerns do you like horror well would you love to see both of these smashed together with great performances from uh, Kurt Russell, of course, and Matthew Fox, and yeah, it, exactly. Yeah, so it, it, that's just what it comes down to. It's just discovering a, a new kind of entity that just throws at you so many different things that you already love, and, and just blending them together seamlessly. So that's kind of just the pattern that's been going on with Cinestate, maybe with the exception of Dragged Across Concrete. That's really kind of a noir film, but. I think our conversations are similar regarding their films because there's a consistency to them. And well, that's what well, I got to say. Let me, let me just ask this one question. I'll pose this as the final pin of the show. Cinestate tends to make very good use of actors who are in movie jail, like Mel Gibson was, or Matthew Fox, who has quite David a reputation. Dave, Dave, well, he's in... Matthew Fox is not very... Matthew Fox is not very kind towards uh, female bus drivers, apparently, from what I know. <laughs> wow. he's, he's got a bit of a history. And, uh, you know, David Arquette's in movie jail for a whole different reason there, Jake. That's because he did Ready to Rumble. And- <laughs> C-Spot Run. 
Um, who do you guys think that uh, Sydney State will put to use who maybe isn't getting their, their due at the moment? I think because I'm, like, thinking about the movie. But I thought of, like, both actors of a Nusino Man. Polly Shore play a piece of shit. And I don't know why, but I feel like that could actually really work. Like, him play a total fucking scumbag. I just don't know if he's a good enough actor, though. But I don't know. That's what pops in my head. There's nobody I'm really, like, thinking about. I I, I have like I had somebody in a while back. I thought of like Tarantino working with him, but now I can't. I can't really think of anybody at the top of my head that I'm like, oh, I'd like to see them return to movies again. I mean, he's kind of old, but maybe somebody like Joe Pesci who really receded from that would be great. Yeah, who though though he's going to be in that new he's in the new Scorsese film. Yeah, I feel like that's an exception because of how friendly he must be with him. But I'd love to see Pesci in some some sense maybe have this kind of resurgence but he also doesn't seem to want it so no he doesn't seem interested in acting nowadays i mean it took like three or four attempts to con him into doing the irishman so i don't know he might just be too old he might be over it now